Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the spoiler-full podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks. This week's episode is on They Might Be Giants. No, not the band, but the film that the band is named for. It is a 1971 Sherlock Holmes-ish adaptation uh, starring George C. Scotts and Joanna Woodward, and uh, we all watched it. Uh, with us this time, we have me, of course, Rob, and we have... Madeline. And... Tess. And... Grandy and Brady, of course, and <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's my intro. It, it, anybody else want to be like, hi, hi, Tish, hi? That's very good of you, Grandy. Very good of you, Brady. Uh, what have you got to say? Uh, you know, and as far as introductions go, as far as introductions go, does that mean I'm doing the plot synopsis? You might as well. Okay, uh, let me try this. Ooh, I mean, you can, or one of the two oh, Sherlock Holmes fanatics I can, can, too. I don't know. Actually, yeah, you know, we... Okay, I'm so... I'm bad at summarizing. Hey, why don't we start with Madeline, and then Tess can crop in when Madeline's like, uh, and then, uh, fuck, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. For, she's for gonna do fine. Know, I'm, I'm okay at Madeline that. Covey and Tessa Cox are Sherlock Holmes historians, uh, curators, <laughs> if you will, of uh, the many artifacts, because this is... This is a piece of literature that inspires a lot of renditions, and yep. uh, this is technically one of them. Yeah. Uh, so, the story is that uh, there's this guy who has a crazy brother who has a lot of money, and the crazy brother who has a lot of money believes that he's Sherlock Holmes. So, um, the sane brother is getting extorted for a lot of money and is trying to get his hands on the crazy brother's money by throwing him in the nut house. Um, he attempts to do this, but the brother is actually a really convincing Sherlock Holmes. He does pretty great deductions. Um, he's very athletic and beats people up a la Sherlock Holmes, you know, with a lot of style and grace. He's got a great, you know, deerstalker hat. And Dresses like he's from 1895. Yeah, he's got the, the Inverness cape and the hat and the pipe, all the, all the stuff. Um, and so the... The psychiatrist that they try to get to sign off on the papers that he needs to be institutionalized gets fascinated with him and starts following him around. And then uh, and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? I'm so frustrated with you, blah, blah, blah. I'm grumpy Sherlock Holmes. All sorts of witty It's a funny things. scene. Yeah, it was good. Funny, Very good witty. quality scene. Um, and, but then it comes to light that her last name is Watson. So she's Dr. Watson. And he like freaks out because apparently he's read the books or something. Yeah, no, he's definitely <laughs> read the books. Um, and so, How and could he not have? He thinks he's Sherlock Holmes. It's yes. 1971. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he knows. Um, conveniently, the books exist in the can within the canon. So it's okay. Conveniently, they do. So it's okay yeah. for Sherlock Holmes to be aware of the books because Dr. Watson wrote, wrote them. Wrote them. Um, so then it gets harder to summarize from there. Just like they meet all of these really wacky characters and they run around New York and there's a gun and clues that don't really make any sense. And, uh, you know, it's very much like an Arthur Conan Doyle story in that way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it, you know, the, the guy who's trying to extort the money from the brother is eventually like, oh, I'm going to just kill 
the guy who thinks he's Sherlock Holmes so that you can get the money and give it to me. Um, and there's danger and intrigue and, like I said, funny characters. And By the way, they're looking for Moriarty this entire oh, yeah, time. they are. They're, like, the, the mystery that makes no sense is entirely revolved around a phantom Moriarty that you may or may not ever meet. Yeah. So, spoiler. Yeah. And then they, they fall in, they sort of fall in love with each other, Holmes and Watson, as they always sort do. Of. They totally fall in love with each other, as they always do. Um, there's a weird scene in a grocery store where everything's <laughs> on sale for really cheap. Uh, <laughs> lots of, like, really strange social commentary and all the characters yeah. marching together with each other. Um, I know something well, I you don't know about, about the topo. I can talk about that later, but Diopo. there is a lot, like, the, exactly. the scenes with random characters in them are all really, like, funny and interesting. And like, pretty, like, really strange. heavy-handed symbolism. <laughs> yeah. Like, like look at us, we're talking symbolically about stuff. Yeah. But then all the clues were symbolic, so. Yeah, very symbolic. And at the end, you know, they end up either, you know, they, they like, see the light and it's Moriarty maybe you don't know <laughs> it's very mysterious and much to Tess and my chagrin even though Watson and Sherlock are male and female and have both told each other that they love each other they still do not kiss they don't ever kiss they don't kiss and all Tess and I want from this world is for Sherlock Holmes and something Watson somebody Watson to kiss <laughs> each other damn it that's all that's all that's we want all. All right. All. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> Apparently it is. Apparently it is. <laughs> Quite frustrating. Uh, yeah, so the ending to this, uh, Brady and I were remarking in, in, in interstitially over or under uh, the comments of Tess and Madeline uh, was very much like the end of a Dario faux play. And I think Tess agreed with me when yeah, I said that during like the film. Yeah, it was like a Dario faux play. <laughs> we yeah. won't pay, we won't pay. I mean, we will get two free pounds of butter for every uh, beef loaf of bread we order. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, that happened. Uh, anybody got anything to add? I think that was a pretty good plot synopsis. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Okay. Because well the m the mystery didn't make any sense anyway, so it's a pointless to to explain it. Like when you guys right. watched Chinatown and you were going, "What was the mystery? We need to make sure that we like get this right." And then in in this, it's like the mystery was not a mystery. It was just them following ridiculous clues and punt like half puns and things like that so, like so it's a ridiculous we have a thing. bag of garbage so we must be looking <laughs> for a place with bag in the title like yeah that was all pretty much all so, the clues so you're were. saying it was a film noir yeah well. but a film noir led by a crazy person exactly and there was no femme fatale as far as i know this is not in any way a film noir <laughs> thank you brady <laughs> okay don't, don't let us derail this it was a silly silly movie <laughs> It was quite silly. Uh, Grandy, you got anything silly. to say about uh, what happened during the course of the events that we just watched? Well, no, Maddie got it pretty spot on. I, you know, I thought it was a excellent movie, uh, very fun. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, I guess we should go on to how do we like it? Hey, 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 how do we like it? <laughs> Uh, Madeline, how did you like this film? I liked it a lot. Um, I really liked the way the Sherlock Holmes characterization was really well done. Um, and actually sort of the Watson was as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked all of the sort of strange symbolistic conversations that people have because I like, I like you know, non-literal conversations and art and subtext and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and I liked that it was really goofy. Um, and I liked all of the funny little side characters, especially the old people in their little garden that they'd had. Yeah. There were these people who had sequestered themselves in a garden greenhouse thing since the 30s, and they were quite charming. Um, and also, you know... Trash bag school. Garden. Yeah, trash bag school. And there was... <laughs> garden. <laughs> garden. Um, yeah, just all the side characters were great, and the characterization yeah. characterizations were great, and... It was it was really fun and cute. Yeah. I also liked it. Um, oh wait wait wait, uh, Madeline, if you had to give it a letter grade, what what grade would you give it? The uh. structure. <laughs> Just what 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 rubric am I using? <laughs> a letter grade. What? That's not. That's like in like give it you a, a a minus Mom, no, no, B, I know B plus. Th- I know that I'm just when you when you're grading papers you have a rubric for like the things you're it's supposed to look for and check off. I'll give it a B plus. There you B go. B plus. All right. right. Yeah, it's not that like you're not the but from the energy of the my sun. My girlfriend has never listened day. to my like, podcast. You're not, you're not <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm the worst. I am the worst girlfriend ever. No, um, it's just that if you'd ever listened to it, you would know that we do that every week. Just you just give it a random grade, like listen to me here. Uh, B, uh, B, it gets a B. There well, you go. Well done. Bra- uh, B for Bravo. How did you like it, other than um, just it was a B? No, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I thought it was a very interesting, fun semi adaptation. Um, the idea of a person that you know slowly begins to believe that they're Sherlock Holmes is pretty great. And he really threw himself into it, too. Like, he was dressing the whole nine yards, deer stalker, giant magnifying glass, deducing people. And they even, one of the things that I thought was cool is, like, she explains it in terms of the illness that he supposedly has, which is that, you know, he's he's paranoid. So he's paranoid of Moriarty, and that, you know, manifests as the entire outside world being out to get him. But because it's manifesting in, like, this certain way, he thinks he's Sherlock Holmes. So um, that was really, really kind of neat. But then everybody that meets him is kind of like, yeah, sure, you can be, you can be Holmes. That's fine. We, we like you. We like you just the way you are, buddy. You're charming. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it got real silly at the end, but I kind of accepted it. And, um... I'm not sure what the structure of this podcast is going to be because I want to talk a lot about it and the the Sherlock the, like the way in which it was a Sherlock Holmes adaptation because yeah but oh, oh we'll I really get to that and what's it all about I liked blah, blah, blah. it yeah, yeah. I really did enjoy it um it was a it was a nice fun interesting adaptation and the characters as Maddie said were pretty well handled um even like the Watson character was really really well adapted I thought. Great. Let's uh, move on to Grandy, who was the one who suggested and brought this film to our, uh, and also supplied this film because I couldn't find it because I'm inept at being a, a pirate. Well, I thought it was a uh, an excellent movie, um, and I, I can see why they might be giants took their name from uh, that movie, and I have a uh, I have an appreciation for Sherlock Holmes as well, and thought that he played that role quite well. But one of my favorite things about the movie was that all of the people that he met and the people that he knew before, especially the guy in the uh, library, uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie was where he was down in the library and he knew, not Sherlock, but the guy in the library, I don't remember his name, 
like knew that he Peabody? wasn't Sherlock Pe- Holmes. No, wasn't Wilbur? Will it was like Wilbur, Wilbur yeah. or Wilson or something. Yeah, like I think that. it was Wilbur Peabody. Oh, it sounds about right. But like he knew he wasn't Sherlock Holmes because he knew him before he, uh, before his wife died and he became Sherlock Holmes. Did they um, ever and knew that, that his he wife was. Died? Yeah, they did. Sorry. Uh, as soon as his wife died, that's when he became Sherlock Holmes uh, in his own mind. But but the thing that really uh, made me like that character or that scene was where he was like, why does it matter if you're Sherlock Holmes or this other guy? Like, you're still just a, a good guy. And uh, however you perceive the world is just cool. Uh, but the whole movie in itself was just great, I thought. It, it, it played through it uh, pretty fantastically, and uh, I'd give it a solid A. Hmm. And Brady, what did you think? Uh, okay, uh, this movie is really sweet and earnest, uh, and also quite a bit unfocused. Hmm. Uh, like, I... Yeah. No, no, like... This is where I think uh, Rob and I always have talked about this, this uh, kind of dichotomy between the grade and how much we like a thing and how sometimes there can be like a big gulf between the two. So I'm giving this movie a C plus and understand Apt. it's not that I don't like the movie. And I'm a huge fan of George C. Scott. Uh, amazing in movies like The Hustler, Patton, Dr. Strangelove. Uh, just saw him in like a satire called The Hospital where he's like a... He's like the original house. He's like a pill-popping doctor who's just like, fuck it also all. Also a Sherlock he, Holmes adaptation. He, yep. bring, he brings dignity and invention and like makes any role he touches funny. So like, I, I loved watching him. And also, you know, Joanne Woodward, uh, she, she's a really good actress too. I've seen her in like one or two things. So, but the problem was like, I felt like maybe the movie didn't know enough what it wanted to be. And, like, occasionally, like, it would have monologues that would explain, at least, what it intended to be, which was this kind of thing about uh, it's okay to be crazy, uh-huh. um, which, which is cool, even though I will point out that, for some reason, the critical community, like, ripped Silver Linings Playbook a new one for doing the very same thing, which is kind of soft-selling actual craziness, and, like, so, like, if I'm... Bringing a criticism forward other than unfocused, it's that I think the movie has a lot of manufactured quirk to it, and yeah. some of that is a bit much. Um, and also, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the thing with the brother kind of evaporates into thin air as mm-hmm. the movie goes on. Yeah. And like, because it, it's the first thing we find out is like, we meet this nefarious brother and his plot to get his, uh, his maybe crazy, it- maybe not so crazy brother institutionalized. And I feel like that's less and less important it as the movie goes on. It probably would have been better uh, to tie that into, like, the Moriarty plot and, like, maybe all the machinations yeah. of, like, people on the outside, but you know. It's really fun. It, it is really fun. It's just that I, I felt like uh, it, it felt like it felt like people having fun is maybe the problem and needed to be maybe a little more focused. But I like the movie. I just would give it a C plus as, as a movie that's because fair. it's very shaggy. It's a woolly, woolly movie. It's good. Shaggy, shaggy, I like that. Shaggy dog, like an English sheepdog. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you there on the fact that the brother thing evaporated into thin air because, I mean, you know, he gets grazed by a bullet and blah, 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 blah. 
and that's well, well way after we haven't really talked or thought about the brother in a while. They did give us an interstitial scene where the brother is talking to somebody else and be like, either I'll get him locked up in the nut house or you'll get him shot. Like, one of the two things will happen, right? So yeah, I, it's not like that wasn't there. It, it was there throughout the entire the film. Big, the big climactic grocery store scene is because the brother is trying to get him hauled off to the loony bin by the police. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, so the, the brother mm-hmm. behind the scenes is, is driving everything throughout the entire film. Yes, we do take breaks from it and so forth and so on, but I, I do think that, uh, that that element didn't get lost, and I wouldn't hold that against the film. Um, I mean, what you're done with your... Grading, right? I'm well, I mean, okay. If, if I could say, if I could say no, one more fair. thing, like maybe this didn't work for me because I think it, the, my problem with the movie is like by saying it's unfocused. Like to be more specific, sometimes it's a love story, sometimes it's this uh, kind of like screwball uh, <laughs> drama with an evil brother trying to get money from his crazy brother, and sometimes, and this is the part that didn't work that much for me. And I know it's going to come up because Maddie and Tess have already talked about it. The social commentary didn't so much work for me. Like, the, the out of nowhere, like, commenting on, like, oh, you got to call these people on the phone to get information. They're like, no, you can't come in person. You got to get on the phone. It's like, and, like, I see what they're going for. It's like, who's crazy? Society's crazy. This guy's not crazy. It's, it's this society with its grocery stores and its bureaucracy and waiting in line and da-da-da-da-da, like, all this bullshit. And I liked it, but, like, it didn't feel organically introduced enough to me to work. Mm-hmm. So, so you're done. Now I'm done. Okay, I'll say. Seg- <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Okay, I'll segue in. Uh, I'll segue in with another uh, kind of against that what Brady just said thing, which is uh, it is actually organically um, put together. I, I guess in those moments, which are meant to be a little screwball and meant to be a little crazy, they're a little uh, glaring. They kind of stand outside the organic thing that is going on. That I mean, I guess to the point because those are so glaring, you don't notice the organicness of the fact that Mildred Watson, who originally was going to be the psychiatrist who was going to disprove him and try to cure him and try to pull him out of this thing, gets pulled in by him. And or and organically, you know, as the time goes on, you know, she even tries to ditch him and then she decides she doesn't want to. She would rather be pulled in to his uh, fake reality and by the end of it, it, it becomes real. Uh, actually... Over the past hour, when I told you that it was a C minus, or I mean C plus B minus, uh, I've I, I've kind of turned the corner of it, and now I'm just going to go with a straight B minus. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I <laughs> okay. There's been a couple talked over moments or talked under moments uh, where Brady and I made reference to Dario Fo, and I actually really like that supermarket scene, and I don't think it's really, I don't think it's trying to be. Um, uh, social commentary at all. Actually, I think it, I thought it was just. You know, I've Silly. I've written a couple mm-hmm. screenplays or whatever, <laughs> where uh, you know, like in high school, where it was just like silly. It was absolutely silly, and uh, uh, the plot points were contrived. And um, I guess, I guess at, at worst, it's amateurish. Uh, uh, no, it's a regular show episode because <laughs> yeah, that's right. how storyboarding works. Is you have really really nice dialogue in the beginning, and everyone's having really great conversations, and the story's moving along, and then at the end, you don't know what to do, so everything fucking explodes. Right, sure, and so and that's what happened in this. And so <laughs> and so you know, but my feeling on it was that it it was amateurish at worst, and um, you know, just kind of silly at best. And so yeah, that didn't work. I actually really did like the phone scene where 
You know, oh, we can't give you information on the phone. Oh, I can't talk to you in person. You have to talk to me on the phone. Oh, I can't give you any information on the, the phone. The old woman in the sh- in the store going like, I want the disposable one and the thing. I want the disposable one and the throwaway thing. (laughs) All right, but question. That's my favorite line. Like these very overt statements on like what society was back then and whatever kind of channels. I I mean, I think basically it's what it still is. I think think the strength in it was that it was – I like the idea that it's trying to have this little commentary. Was it expertly done? No, but it was done like a B-minus student. You know, it's 80%. Like it's not horrible. The, yeah. the kid did his best, you know. But I mean, but what would a B minus stu- what would a B minus student's project get if he brought it out into the real world? I mean, there's no kiddie pool here. This is a movie starring one of the yep. best actors of, well, of American but film. But the, the thing Rob pointed out that this was originally supposed to be a stage play, and I feel like that sort I, of gave I me a really. I don't know if he said it was supposed to be a stage play, but it when, felt on, like a play. it was a play. It was on the it London was. stage. It, um, it oh, is okay. often misnomered as a Broadway play, but it never made it to Broadway because the author said. I don't like it. it. It's not done. It's not right. There are things in it that aren't right, um, which is exactly <laughs> exactly what it's like when you get a B minus on a paper. You're like, ah, I haven't quite turned the point right on this thing. I haven't quite done this. It was basically just an unfinished product, and uh, they made it into a film. And it was interesting the way it was done. Mm-hmm. And I still think it had a lot to say. It just it wasn't done yet. Almost, hmm. it, it's almost like it wasn't done yet. Yeah. So that's why I'm giving I, it my grade. I, I, I definitely. Like that about it. Yeah. And there's a value to yeah, that. Um, I guess my it. grade is based on that because if I was just going to give it on how much I liked it, I would give it more along the lines of a B. So, so like one of the things that's I think has driven Sherlock Holmes being having so many adaptations over the past century is that in a lot of the stories, there's so much stuff that's sort of like left up to the imagination. Like, and a huge amount is left up to the imagination. Things are not filled in like you sort of want them to be. Yeah, the and world Arthur Conan Doyle thing, like, example. he just wouldn't give a shit about having continuity and blah, blah. He would do shit. Yeah. 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 Like that shit, ca- that shit was sloppy. Care about he Sherlock didn't care Holmes. about Sherlock Holmes. Right, so should the guy care about well, who I don't made know, this? I don't should know if care? the guy who made the guy who made this should care because everybody else who makes a thing cares. Yep. But <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the beauty of Sherlock Holmes is that everybody who loves Sherlock Holmes is super pedantic and Arthur Conan Doyle and just didn't care at all. They know all the mistakes and like these people were the original nerds and they like they made they, they filled in the gaps. They like retconned all the mistakes. Just like you would when you're watching Inspector Gadget where you're going I don't remember that gadget coming out of his arm before. I have to make up a reason why that just happened. So everyone was doing this with the books because Sir Arthur Conan Doyle didn't give a fuck. I was was making a point. Is it okay if I finish? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and finish your point. But after that, we should really let this energy go into what's it all about because we're done with the the how do we like it. Yeah, yeah. But go go make your point. Make your point. Okay, so my point was just that um, I really liked that it felt unfinished and that it had sort of an ending that you could leave up to your own interpretation. Because I feel like that was very much in the spirit of the original books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a little break. Uh, n- maybe doing, uh, uh, we're going to do plot lines, and then uh, we'll come back with uh, what's it all about. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Plot Lines. Uh, this is Rob, and I'm going to be hosting this. I'm going to go ahead and start reading the plot synopsis, and then y'all need to buzz in with your name. I will tell you when you are right. The first film plot synopsis is as follows. In 1984, the USSR's best submarine captain... Brady, uh, The Hunt for Red October. From 1990. 
Oh, and by the way, as chosen by Grandy, that this week's uh, this week's uh, shit. Hey, Brady, you should face more that way. I can't see. All right, all right. Trust me, he knew. But still, Brady, don't don't peek. <laughs> I, I didn't. For, for the sake of everybody else, scoot towards us. That way, I don't have to like try and do her. No, oh. Brady just knows this stupid shit. Oh no, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Sorry, but I'm belittling however, the things it'll be that you know it'll be a lot easier for me if I don't have to think about what who everyone who could be looking. I just ever. know that Hunt for Red October is about a Cold War submarine captain. Made in the nineties. Yes, yes. I did but, know the captain. So made in the nineties is the criteria. Yes, that is the criteria. Oh, okay, that helps. Yeah, it helps. I know. Maybe we'll beat this. No, I thought it was going to be superhero movies. Then I would have been Well, okay I was going to do it. superhero movies, but Evie told me it was too thin. So 90s. So we did 90s. Okay. Superhero movies. No, not necessarily. A theme park suffers. Madeline. A major Madeline. Jurassic Park? Correct. Oh, oh damn it. Nice. I was about to say my own name. And that's some classic 90s, too. Yeah, that is good. All right, I've so the score is I've never seen that a, movie. What? You've oh. never seen Jurassic Park? You oh, my God, we have to watch it right now. <laughs> so the score is Matt, uh, no, Madeline 1, Brady 1, and we're playing till 4? for yeah. Jurassic Park. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Jeff Goldblum gets eaten by dinosaurs. No. The okay. wish. <laughs> All right, are you guys ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. A mute woman along with her very young daughter and her prize piano Brady for piano <laughs> That's correct <laughs> I from 1993 I was going to say now well, that, that was the whole point that I just read it so slowly At first my voice my guess was going to be the mute woman and then it's like but her daughter is like oh the mute woman and her daughter like, that's, I'm pretty sure that's that my copy of Mel. Okay, now you guys can yak about while I find another one. After a simple jewelry heist goes terribly wrong, the surviving. Tess, Rever- Reservoir Dogs. From 1992, correct? Damn. Wait, Thanks, I got Bill it. Bill Shatner yeah. for reading it? the things to us. So that's Maddie one, Tess one, Brady one. Uh, I've got two. Uh, Brady too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a present, After discovering that an asteroid the size Brady. Madeline, uh-huh. Armageddon. Brady, you're supposed to wait till I say your name, but okay. Yes, Armageddon. you're correct. Armageddon from 1998. I was close. You were. I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, baby. <laughs> and I don't want to miss a thing. See, now you guys I should listen to the podcast. And the then you will know not to do what you're doing right now. I don't miss you, baby. And I don't want to miss a thing. Nothing Tessa said can be used on this podcast. Shut up. I was okay, are you guys ready? During the main podcast. Shut up. What's the score? Brady three, Madeline one, Tess one. Is that correct? Yes. All right. A lazy. Brady the Big Lebowski. No. Good. Law school grad adapts a kid to impress his girlfriend. Madeline. Madeline. Big Daddy. From 1999. Nice. Is a law school grad in that? Nobody of us. No, there's no way. Really? Are you Adam serious? Sandler. Another what? movie you haven't seen? 
I, I think I watched it. It might have made me cry, in fact. It made me cry. Yeah, I think I watched it and it made me cry, but I don't remember it very well. Well, it's just the cute fucking okay, kid. Okay, Maddie 2, Brady 3, right? Three. Yeah. Brady 3, test 1. Exactly. Great job. This is actually, I'm doing a pretty good job keeping this a pretty even game. Oh, Jon Stewart's in that movie? Wow. Yeah, for like a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, Jon Stewart is Isn't totally he like in the that movie. Is the kid's original father or something? Mm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't remember. Come on. So. All right. Here we go. <laughs> We're going to do... Uh, oh, man. This is going to make everybody really upset. <laughs> just just get it out there. No, this one's probably going to be pretty good, actually. I, I picked a good one. In a dystopian future. Nice. The Maddie? most faint Maddie. Oh, the most famous. Oh, I'm reevaluating my choice now. But Gattaca? Famous judge <sighs> is convicted for a crime he did not commit while his murderous counterpart escapes. Brady? Judge Dredd? From 1995. Holy shit, Brady wins. I didn't want to win that one. That was a really good grab, though, on, like, a, a very general... Judge Dredd? That, what the fuck is Judge Dredd? A 90s movie? Stallone. It's a 90s movie. I don't. I just know it has a judge. <laughs> wow! I would <laughs> never have thought that. How does your brain work? Bingo. What must it be like to be you? Uh, very simple. It's... All right, so Brady won this edition of Plotline. And all of them forever. All of them forever. Until the end of no, time. No, that one was really good. No, you got that on a really tough grab. I mean, like, nobody can fault you for that. Like, fault you? I don't think anybody could be like, Brady knew way too much to be able to get. No, no. Brady took a wild stab in the dark and got it right. But like that was such a general plot line. Jeopardy, just buzzing. You should be on Jeopardy. You'd be really good at it. You would, dude. Brady, you would just, just go on Jeopardy and, go, and you'll get fifty k. You'll be you cool for three it. years. All right, you won't have I can to work pay off anymore. my loan. It's, it's great. There you go. You would be the you won't pay off your loan. You'll spend that shit on. You've got to come up with a funny story. Burritos and blow. Burritos and blow. And and beer, mostly beer. I will spend it on burritos and hookers who I hired to help me eat the burritos because I bought way too many. And I think we have our drop for the week. Cool. All right. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. We're back uh, after a little break and a little uh, bit of plot lines that we did just there. Um, we're going to uh, talk about uh, what's it all about. Me? Yeah, you say what's it all about. What's it all about? What's it all about? What's it all about? What's it all about? Well, who wants to go first? What is this all about? Anybody got anything to say? Just keep the order. Let's, let's hear from Maddie. Oh, all right. me first? Okay. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, because I don't listen to your podcast because I'm a bad girlfriend. <laughs> um, You're adequate. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the way Sherlock was written was really great. He had a lot oh, of... Oh, by the way, I don't make a habit of calling my girlfriend ad adequate. That was just... Well, I mean, I might now, but that was a line from well, the film. That was a line from I the film. Now. See, so you're he gives no some Sherlock, really, Rob. He gives some really great Sherlock Holmes compliments to his Watson in this. One of one of which is, "You are adequate. Tell yourself that you are adequate." Makes her repeat it, which is just like so like you. Are, you may not. One? You may not have your own oh. genius, but as a conductor of light, 
You are unbeatable. Unbeatable. So yeah, like like <laughs> Jeez, really what? <laughs> <laughs> like really Sherlock Holmes gives all these really backhanded compliments and doesn't mean to. It's very funny. Compassults. Um, yeah, Compassault. Yes, exactly. What was the other one? The other one was... Oh, good. That one was even better. You have... Wait. Well, uh, uh, no, you were it with, like, you have... You have... It's, like, qualities. For you, have qualities. Qualities. you have was qualities. You have qualities. You have qualities. Word? Yes. No, he's like, like you ha- you've yeah. got qualities. He was like, you have qualities. And then he was like... Uh, I like having you then around. Then he said you've something like an asshole right <laughs> like after that. Such a Sherlock Holmes compliment. So the characterization <laughs> was absolutely brilliant. But like one of my complaints Tess and I were talking about was that there weren't that many canon references in it. So he mentions the speckled band. He just says it. Um, and I, he, he talks about the, the Reichenbach Falls, of course, because you always do. But <laughs> And then there's Moriarty. But Moriarty's always overblown in every Sherlock Holmes adaptation because he's only in like one, one and, a half and a half of stories. the stories. Um, Not even any of the novels either. No, no, just a story. And just like the story where Arthur Conan Doyle was like, man, I really want to kill this guy. So I can focus <laughs> on things that I care about. <laughs> so, so yeah. And then also, Tess, do you, do you want to talk about, I mean, I can, t- I have more things to talk about. Do we have to go in order? Can we kind of bounce around? It seems like this one should be more around. Yeah, yeah. So I That's really, usually what it is. I really want Tess to talk about, um, about the brother thing. Oh yeah. Um, well, uh, so there's, there's a moment in it where, um, you know, the, as we've mentioned, there's like an evil brother that's trying to like either bump him off or get him put into, you know, a loony bin. And um, he, she, she, the the psychiatrist Watson like mentions to him like, oh, so you're, you know, you have a brother. And he's like, yeah, I have a brother. And he calls me Justin and like, you know, whatever. I don't, I know I have a brother, but whatever he wants to do is fine with me. This Sorry, let me add that this is after he said that he can't remember his mother or his father or his wife or, or any of the other people that have were in his family before he was Sherlock Holmes. So, but, but the way that it's delivered, it's like he go, she goes, oh, you have a brother. And he goes, of course I have a brother or something like that. And then I was just like, yeah, he's going to start talking about Mycroft. And then, no, he's just talking about his actual fucking brother. <laughs> So like the, there was there was so much opportunity there for just to reference that and to make us understand like what what he knows is really only his life as far as like the the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stories go but they don't even go that far and yeah like as Maddie was saying like the characterization is really great but it it doesn't incorporate anything that's specific to the canon yeah i'm gonna um, go out and limb and say of, that you yeah. guys probably know oh sorry about that bump uh you guys probably know more about the sherlock holmes canon than did the director i it's think very, they made a point possible. of not going too deep into it and try to just keep it light and not make a lot of like really specific references to but i sort of like the the like idea of sherlock holmes rather than yeah on the other the hand, awesomeness though, of the character it would have been really easy to insert things that were nods to people who understood that wouldn't mm. have gone over the heads of anybody else that was watching because they had him in but the deerstalker they had him in the Invernus cape they had the pipe they had the magnifying glass that was really what they needed and anything else they threw for people who knew like it, it would have been as silly, it would have seemed as silly as anything else that they were saying. 
So, you I know, definitely there's don't no think reason they w- to not include it other than the fact that you don't know what to include. I mean, or you I, don't I, know what you're including. I, I definitely don't think that they, they thought they were as silly as they came off. All right, but wait, wait. Well, let's sure. respect the segment true. here. What is hey. it all about? Oh. What's well, were you done with what you're, what you were all about? Oh, sorry. Oh, so. We were bouncing. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say it was all about. I mean, it was all about sort of using Sherlock Holmes as as a way to sort of explore someone who is outside of the norm of society, which most Sherlock Holmes adaptations do. I mean, you've got, if you are all watching the BBC Sherlock Holmes adaptation, which you all should be, there's the <laughs> whole bobble hat deduction scene with Mycroft and Sherlock in the... in. Oh, well, you're getting into third season. Sorry, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, spoilerful podcast for things you didn't know were going to be spoiled for you. Sorry, I mean, mean, you all know that he doesn't actually die because he's there at the end of the episode. And in the (laughs) next episode... In the next episode, they and talk about a bobble hat. And that season's been out for fucking They talk about like a bobble hat. That's not, that's not so that spoilery. If you're that they into it, you should have watched it by now. And they now. talk about being an outsider and how, like, even if you're an outsider, people could still accept you and value your company and value you as a person. Uh, that was perfect, okay. Maddie. So um, I liked that. Well played. That was good. I agree. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go and pop in and, and read the quote from the film that I think kind of summarizes what it's about because uh it's the quote where they might be giants is involved yeah uh and since the film is named that i I think it's probably significant uh they might be giants actually refers to uh uh uh, don quixote and um him looking at windmills and thinking that they might be giants (laughs) as opposed to buildings let me just say that again Thinking that they might be giants as opposed to buildings. Uh, windmills. Yes, windmills. Yes, Don Quixote thought the windmills were actually giants. Some sort of giant creature or something like that. Anyway, um, Playfair, uh, Justin Playfair, who is our Sherlock Holmes character in this film, uh, says in response to that, Of course, he carried it a bit too far. He thought that every windmill was a giant. That's insane. But thinking that they might be, well... All the best minds used to think that the world was flat, but what if it wasn't? It might be round, and bread might be more than me- or might be medicine, or sorry, bread, bread mold, mold might mold. be medicine. And if we never looked at things and thought of what they might be, we'd all be out there in the tall grass with the apes. So, to me, this film tied in with that is about um, basically uh, choosing your reality. What reality would you like to live into? And um, live into? No, I meant. What in which reality would you like to live? And furthermore, um, if you don't think about the fact that reality is different than maybe you actually perceive it, there's no room to grow there. So given that the, nice. that the film was titled that and that that's the quote that references that in the film, and that I think that's what they were going for with this. Yeah, I think you're right with the entire movie. Mm. I mean, but I wasn't necessarily trying to do, like, be like, I'm right. No, I was just trying to go and discuss. (laughs) Well, um, I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, I agree with what everyone else is kind of saying with what what is it all about. I think that was a really good point. And, you know, what what is the true nature of insanity or, you know, that kind of thing. But I actually really liked Brady's point um, and probably subsequently Maddie's point that, um, you know... 
you see all these little vignettes that have really nothing to do with the story of just people living their ordinary life in 1971, but it's not that different from us now because you still have operators on the phone that you're trying to deal with and all of this bureaucratic red tape, and that's all really, really nuts. And Ooh, the operator you know, cried. And, and every single time that something like – well, yeah – most of the times that something like this happens, you know, the Sherlock Holmes character sort of like breaks, manages to break through that. So, you know, he's 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 actually maybe like less crazy than everyone else around him. Like he's just like, no, this is not how we do things. We don't grab people and put them in a straitjacket. We don't tell crying women that they can't have somebody's address. We don't do this. This is not how we treat people, and I'm going to stop this right now. So, like, he's actually, like, the more compassionate and reasonable person in in the entire film, even though he happens to think he's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who's to say he's and, not? And, yeah. the si- and the situation mm-hmm. with, um, with, you know, the operator and the giving the woman the address, the operator who's being, like, really, like... I'm sorry, you have to call me to speak to me. I'm sorry, I can't give you information over the phone. I'm sorry, you have to call me to speak to me. I'm like when he turns to her and he goes like, "No, give her the damn unlisted thing so she can look <laughs> up her like suicidal boyfriend." You know, she's like crying at that moment. Um, then it turns into like a stupid clue, which no, makes no sense. No, no, but it's well, great. no, no, but that, that's all part of the insanity. But continue. but like you know, in in terms of this being what Brady calls heavy-handed like social commentary. No, I didn't say that. We, no, you said <laughs> you said that earlier. I just saw you him mentioned this particular in scene in conjunction right with that. <laughs> but um, I mean, when you were talking about uh, hey hey hey, how do we like it? You mentioned that, right? Yeah, he, yeah, you did. I thought you I did. I might have. Oh, maybe maybe. Uh, no, Brady is Brady mentioned the scene. I don't know if he was mentioning it in the same context, but he definitely mentioned it. Okay, well, now that we've decided that I'm not horrible for telling Brady that he would have said that. <laughs> um, but she's crying, in which, you know, in a symbolic sense, if we're going to look at this as uh, kind of heavy-handed symbolism, then that would say that uh, the society, who knows what it's doing, is just as upset about it, but is powerless to not uh, continue to react right. in that fashion. Right. Yeah. I also, I'd like to chime in just a little bit, if that's okay. I feel like because this is about a person who's supposedly insane, we're all being sort of, like, insensitive to insanity stuff just because the way that insanity is presented in this movie is really car- caricaturist and really mm. cartoony. It's, like, a very sort of trope-laden mm. kind of insanity, not, like, an actual address of insanity. And if this movie were actually about someone who was insane and trying to deal with that issue, I would never say throw them in the loony bin, but because it's sort of addressed in a really cartoonish way and you're given this sort of, like, almost cartoon version of Sherlock Holmes, that's why I think we keep... S- addressing it in those terms so i hope that thank you for anybody that, anybody out there I felt weird when i said it <laughs> yeah i said loony bin and i was like whoo i don't usually say yeah. those sorts of things um and so Wait, yeah is there a problem with the words loony bin i mean yeah it's pretty insensitive to somebody who has mental health that. issues but the way that it's addressed in this movie is not like dealing with actual insanity it's dealing with insanity as a trope right and i almost okay. wanted to, to comment on that one of the things i got towards the end is that, like, you know, I almost got this, like, um, Joker and Harley Quinn feel from the two of them, where he's just like, come with me, doctor! We will be insane together and reign yeah. Arkham Asylum! Like, you know, that that was kind of... <laughs> towards the end of it, mm-hmm. I just sort of got yeah. a really, like, that from it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway. All right, uh, I'm going to turn in here because I'm the last person who hasn't said 
but it's all about. And well, I, I mean, Grandy and you covered it. No, no, well, Grandy did. I think. Did he? Yeah. I said words. He did say words. He said words. Grandy, do you have any more words to say? No, no. Let Brady well, go. If Grandy yeah, has something to say, he'll say it. Go. All right. No, no. I, I think you know, it's uh, for better and for worse. It's a movie that, through its title, through a monologue, very uh, succinctly addresses what it's about. The title of the movie is They Might Be Giants, and there's an actual monologue where the words They Might Be Giants are used, where, as Rob said, he... Basically, the idea, it's, it's kind of like the crazy version of A Spoonful of Sugar. <laughs> like, this idea of, well, in a society with red tape, with operators who won't tell you anything you want to know, with bullshit in the supermarkets, maybe someone with just a dash of crazy is what we all need. And I, and I think that's a good message, and I like talking about that message. If I have a problem with the movie, it's that I don't feel it's entirely organically earned. Mm. And, and that especially goes to that ending, and I want to go on the record and say that I also really like that ending shot, and I like the idea of it. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel it's entirely earned. And the problem is that the stuff that they use to demonstrate it with those wacky side characters, that's the stuff that doesn't work for me. I like watching George C. Scott and Joanna Woodward, but I think that there's a difference between saying that a message is good and necessarily saying that the way it's executed is good. I didn't always care for the execution, even though I was always clear on where it was going. So, well, that's a value judgment. Where did you? Th- what did you think it was actually about? Oh, well, I just said it's it's about this idea that just like a spoonful of crazy makes the oh, right, 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 bureaucratic yeah, yeah. medicine go down. So I was thinking <laughs> nice. about I was thinking about the fact wow, that that's you like a line from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking I was thinking yeah. far too much about the fact that your microphone hadn't been recording for the first half of that because you turned it <laughs> what, down. Was it not? <laughs> you, you turned it down by accident, I think. Oh, did it? Oh, no. Don't touch it now. Don't touch it now. I, I I can mix it in. It'll be fine. I know. Um, you I, I, like, kind of want to disagree a little bit about the way that the scenes were, like, stuck in. And, like, I admit that they felt like they were separate from the rest of the movie. But part of that is because you're watching Sherlock Holmes, like, 1895 Sherlock Holmes walk around 1971 New York. Oh, yeah, it's totally got that Star so, Trek 4 so feel to it. So the fact that these are intrusive moments mm-hmm. makes total yeah, sense to me. So, like, I I really liked that about it. I thought that was, like, an interesting approach, and it, it felt right within the milieu. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I actually, I love things that have stuff like that in them. Like, I don't know. I don't know what things I can say that aren't like too nerdy and obscure like (laughs) like just go for it i don't know like in like in a lot of the animes i like they'll have like little sections that like don't really make sense with the rest of the plot but they like sort of condense something down and like make it make sense like like in revolutionary girl utina which is my favorite anime like all of them all of the shadow puppet shadow girl scenes yeah you know (laughs) about the shadow girls so they're like yeah they're like the greek they're the greek chorus they're the they're the allegory of the cave girls and so, like, I feel like all of these people in these little vignettes that they see as they go through are sort of like the allegory of the cave people. They're just, like, they're condensing down the ideas of the plot, you know, again, for, like, re-exposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's not realist. This is not at all a realist film. It's it, not trying to have a sense of reality that. at all. It's just, no, I mean, it's trying to communicate this thing. And Listen, uh, yeah. they're a great In a chorus, movie about yeah. a guy who thinks he's Sherlock Holmes wrapped up in a wacky brother money plot, I never wanted to force any kind of realism on this. What I was missing was 
just maybe a little bit more subtlety and a little bit more connective tissue between the scenes. And that extends to the the romance plot, which I found completely unconvincing. I'm well, I mean, okay, oh, I, I think, no, I think, shut I, the yeah. fuck up. Every, every romance on, plot on. between uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson is convincing. Okay. It's true. So <laughs> I think most of what Brady's talking about talk and what's rang wrong later. to him is basically associated with the fact that this is a film. We were watching a film and he holds it up to the conventions of film. However, this film doesn't, really meet those conventions or doesn't really act in those conventions at all. Like, I think halfway through the movie, I did it again, I bitch slapped a mic. Don't um, slap the mic. Halfway through a movie, um, this movie, I uh, I said, like, oh, okay, so this was a play and the guy never quite got it right and blah, blah, blah. I explained that earlier. But um, as soon as I said that, anybody around me was like, oh, okay, so that's why th- this is the way it is. Yeah. Okay, now I get it. Now I'm on board with it. I, I think the idea of us holding it to the conventions of film, especially of the 70s, where film became very nuanced and very like naturalistic and sort of immersive, uh, where this is kind of so ab- it's so abrasive against its surroundings and again, it, like in its uh, what did you what word did you use milieu? Milieu. Yeah, yeah. Um, use that word. Which, yeah, yeah. Just the general sort of like gelatin on which it is swimming. <laughs> wow. Basically, this is an aspic salad of a movie, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, is like, it's, it's fucking, it's not, you can't compare that to The Godfather of Cool Hand Luke. Or I'm not, I'm not at all <laughs> comparing it to either of those two. Like, I'm, I don't have any problem with, like, frivolity, especially to make a point. I love, like, frivolous punk. I love punk that uses humor. And I think, no, I mean, at its core, that's the spirit of the thing. But, Here's the thing. To me, all those sketches with the the phone operator with the supermarket, they played more like pitches. They played like pitches of the way, like a person telling a producer how that scene should go. Right. I totally understand. Like th- this film. Oh, it was a mess. Brady. It basically it was a mess. It tried to it tried to invent its uh, own set of rules mess. as to what was the right way to exposit certain messages, and then carry that out and basically say, "See, this is the way we talk about it." And and I agree, it didn't really work, and so that's very off-putting to the critic or anybody who's trying to watch it and and discern like kind of a cohesive message or meaning from it. Well, but I'm just saying that the reason why that is is because of the way it was put together. So, and quick, interesting yeah. tangent question that this kind of uh, raises, and this comes up in a lot of movies, is when you know what a movie is about and you really like what it's about, which I think we all do. Mm. Uh, we all love like its iconoclasm and like what it's saying about like you know, views of insanity and what's really insane. So when you know and like what a movie's about, but maybe find, like, deficiencies in the way it does it, how far are you willing and how far can you reach across the aisle to help it out, to say, I know where you're coming from, even if you didn't hit it perfectly? Well, I was actually going to say about that, that, like, I I feel like, uh, you know, from my point of view, I want to appreciate it for what it is. Um, I liked it and I want to like it and I'm will I'm totally willing to admit that it was a mess particularly towards the end that it didn't it didn't address even like from like my fangirl perspective the things that I wanted it to talk about but I still really enjoyed watching it so like I I'm willing to forgive a lot and talk about it in terms of what it is and not about it in terms of like other things that did what it does better or 
actual good movies because like while I give it like a B minus I'm sure it is essentially that that you are more correct in giving it a C or yeah. what did you give it a C C minus I give it a C plus C plus C plus I so, still like, think I'm know. more correct in saying it was an A yeah that's quite possible I'm also possible? I'm coming Brandy from just it did that for the name I'm I'm coming no, to it actually, from like an art not at all. like more like thinking about experimental film and like things that I would want to make and like things I've seen in museum settings and stuff where like narrative isn't really as important <laughs> and <laughs> so like as an experimental film I think it's great as like a regular movie not so much no, right and, and that's that where I seen, think you chop out the stuff with the hitman because those are like very conventional yeah like and those parts are all really poorly done too like you yeah. guys when the movie started he's just like giving you sh- straight up shameless exposition monologue it's like ridiculous there I think going, I said wow. that I think I said yeah, you did like, shameless exposition, exposition. Batman. <laughs> like, what the fuck? okay but okay now that this has been said and uh just so that I basically can reiterate my <laughs> what I think the movie's all about and be, uh, you know, a self. Uh, longest what's it all about? I know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you have so but, much to say, and there's okay, no structure. Okay, so the, so the thing is, is everybody's whole thing is, well, yeah, but the way that this did it, it didn't really fit that, it didn't really fit this, it didn't really fit that, and the message of the movie is, choose your reality, choose your whatever. So then. The reason Grandy feels like it's an A, I feel like it's a B. You feel like it's a B plus. You feel like it's a C plus. plus. Um, like that's all based on the fact of, you know, we're choosing our conventions, and whichever conventions you choose, then thus make you feel about this film in the w- in the way that it is. And th- what the film is saying is, yeah, choose. Go go ahead and pick whatever you want. And, and so what's to say which real. one's right yeah. or wrong? Because the one that was working, or that you were doing doesn't work and the new one you do does work like yeah, so especially given him that as sherlock worked he got a lot of shit done yeah why should before we? he became sherlock he tried he really that. hard I trust the movie but it, he was itself. a humanitarian <laughs> couldn't get anything done can i point out that i'm just saying why should we judge it on a set of conventions that judges it poorly can I point out that we are talking more about this movie than anyone in the world ever has? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my other thing that I wanted to say is that like it's also thought it's like weird, but that makes it thought provoking. Like the fact yep. that it's not a perfect movie makes you think about it more because you want to fill in the blanks and you want to think about how you can make it work in your head. And that's like what Arthur Conan Doyle would do. And that's why generations upon generations of nerds have filled in the blanks for Arthur Conan Doyle is like why we're filling in the blanks for this movie is because mm-hmm. it like has a lot of problems and it doesn't make sense, but it's still really appealing. Yeah, and you, you like want to make it a hundred different appealing. ways. Well, so wait, appealing. no, no, that is an excellent point. I think with that, we should uh, take another break and go do our understudy for the week. And then uh, we'll come back with final points. We're so sorry. We couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay but we've got two understudies and to be honest they're probably more famous anyway so try to catch the actors try to guess the movies tweet us at c-a-r-n-y couch this game called understudy is happening 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 right now okay everybody cough up a little green for the lady Come on, throw in a buck. Uh Uh-uh, I don't tip. What do you mean you don't tip? I don't believe in it! You don't believe in tipping? (laughs) You don't... Do you have any idea what these ladies make? They make shit. Don't 
give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. I don't even know a Jew who would have the balls to say that. So let's get this straight. You never, ever tip? I don't tip because society says I should. I tip when somebody deserves a tip. I tip when somebody pulls, put, puts forth the effort and deserves a little something extra. But the tip auto, tipping automatically, that shit, shit is for the birds. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. That girl was okay. She didn't do anything special. <laughs> What's something special? Take you in the kitchen and <laughs> suck your dick. vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. White, but the last thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> These ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage when I work for minimum wage or when my henchmen work for minimum wage. Was it that they weren't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy? <laughs> ah, now we're getting down to it. It's not just that he's a cheap bastard. It's that tip. It is that too, but it's also... He couldn't get a waiter job. You talk like a pissed-off dishwasher. Fuck those cunts and their fucking tip. So you don't care that they're counting on your tip to live? Huh. Do you know what that is? Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you want to guess what that is? That's, that's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. You, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. These, these people, have, they bust their ass. This is a hard job. So is working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them. They're serving you food. You should tip them. But no, society says these tip guys, tip these guys over here, but not those over there. That's bullshit. They work harder than the kids at McDonald's. Yeah, I don't see them cleaning the fryers. <laughs> these people are taxed on the tips they make. When you stiff them, you cost them money. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of tips. Eh, yeah, fuck all that. (laughs) (laughs) I am very sorry that the government taxes their tips. That's fucked up, but that ain't my fault. Uh, it It would appear that the waitress is just one of many groups that the government fucks up. <laughs> fucks in the ass on a regular basis. Show me a paper that says the government shouldn't do that. I will sign it. I will put it to a vote. I will vote for it. But what I won't do is play ball. Oh, and all this non-college bullshit you're telling me I got two words for that. Learn to fucking type. Because if you're expecting me to help out with the rent, you're for in for a big fucking surprise. <laughs> He's convinced me. Uh, g- give me my dollar back. Now give it to me, Hank. G- give it to me right now. <laughs> okay. Okay, ramblers. Let's get to rambling. Wait a minute. Who didn't throw in? I'm Mr. White. Mr. White? Why? Mr. White? He don't tip. <laughs> Why? Oh, sorry. He don't tip. He don't tip? You don't tip? Why? He don't believe in it. 
You don't believe in it? You don't believe in it? Nope. Shut up. Cuff up the buck, you cheap bastard. I paid for your goddamn breakfast. Because you paid for the breakfast, I am going to tip. Normally, I wouldn't. Whatever. Just throw in your dollar and let's move. See what I'm dealing with here? Infants. I'm fucking dealing with infants. That was unsudden. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Hi, everybody. We're back, and we're going to do our little part three and our this, that, and the other uh, for the whole what's, uh, what's up and what's this all about, man. So we already did what's it all about. We did, but we're still in that segment. Part three is usually, yeah, you know, we get into some specific scenes and continue to back up our point. Or we gotta talk about the lady. Okay, yeah. let's talk about the lady. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be what's it all about anymore. We've already pretty much said that. But let's talk more about what it's about. Like okay. this lady. She's so great. This Watson is wonderful and and perfect. She just, she comes in and she's professional. She has a life. She has you know things that she wants to do and she's awesome but she totally gets drawn into this crazy life and that's exactly what happens to dr yeah. watson in the books and I by mean, the way mm -hmm. like he he deduces her and she's like as off-put as she is intrigued she's like fuck fuck you for saying that how could you possibly know about the drinking i'm really interested in you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I think I, I mentioned this is that, like, you know, we kind of inhabit, we as the audience kind of inhabit the spot of the lady where we get drawn in. Yep. Well, and that's what John know, Watson does. Right, yeah, yeah. And we start off going, mm, uh, I don't know if I'm into, like, uh, what, how am I supposed to look at this and blah, blah, blah. And we go, like, uh, then Watson uh, kind of pulls us along and we go, okay, go with it like that. Just just do it that way. That is that is the function of a Watson yeah. is to be the be the audience. Yeah. Just like mm -hmm. fall in love with Sherlock Holmes and follow along with what Sherlock Holmes does and is crazy. Yeah. And then one of the things that I like commented during the film was um, that, you know, she she leaves after having like gone with him on this crazy ass adventure and is like, I lost my shoe. The police are after me. My job <laughs> is at stake. Uh, this is like just completely ridiculous and then she's laying in bed staring at the ceiling and going this was the best night of my life holy fuck so like that is like totally totally an apt description of any watson that you could possibly imagine also also when when <laughs> she's trying to you know they're having their rendezvous later and she's trying to be a normal woman she's trying to like cook dinner which she's admittedly bad at and she's trying to put on you know wonderful 70s fake eyelashes and she's like I, women do this every day like like that's such that's such a john watson attitude also yeah. it's just like do i, I have yeah. to be normal whenever whenever but john's then, trying to put on his eyelashes he says that in the in the yeah. latest iteration I of it right? shave for and in elementary holmes. i don't shave for sherlock holmes she no did. she shaved her legs she shaved her she legs totally, for sherlock she did. holmes so I really like that line. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like, yeah. And do this good. every day. And another it, social commentary about how everything around you is crazy. That yeah. one really. And worked. she doesn't have to do that for Sherlock Holmes. You know, she doesn't succeed with yeah. the eyelashes. They don't even end up eating the dinner because Sherlock Holmes doesn't yeah. eat when he's on a case. Yeah, Sherlock doesn't give a fuck. Like I don't give a fuck about all this. Yeah, he's like, got a deer sucker yeah. on. It's Obviously, nice. he doesn't give a fuck. Like, here's some flowers that I picked on my way here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. 
and then my joke about that was that, like, you know, she's like, oh, you bought me flowers. And I was like, well, I was going to do an experiment on the flora and fauna of the, you know, area around <laughs> here. But, you know, I decided, what the fuck? Here you go. <laughs> so all nice. Not like a really nice character adaptations yeah. there. Okay. And, also- and something I saw in this that I liked a lot that I don't see in, in the later Sherlock Holmes is like the bubbling, like nutty professor sort of chemicals going on in the background. However, I've been told that it, it, it is really there. They don't have bubbling nutty professor <laughs> chemicals, but they do have, like, body parts in the butter dish yep. sort yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff. I know. And that's, that's, that's more mentioned in the canon than bubbly. Right, yeah. but, but just visually, every, like, visual, thematic, cinematic adaptation I saw yeah. had that in it because that is the most, like, um, kind of stark imagery of... Yeah. This guy does fucking science experiments, yo. It is a yo. very, very I mean, concise in, way to show in, that he is, like, a scientist, and he's experimenting. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's the way they did it, actually, probably prior to 1990. Story. Yeah. Yeah. The, the new series does have some stuff with... I mean, they have that shit in yeah. Flubber, right? And that's, like, early aughts? Yeah, but Flubber. <laughs> what the fuck you mentioned in Flubber? Yeah, yeah, but they have the bubbling chemicals Who to show that he's Flubber, a fucking Rob. scientist. I saw that's Flubber the in 90s. I mean, I didn't see it, but I'm assuming that it was there. <laughs> All right. Those, those images, though, are a product of uh, 1800 Sherlock Holmes. They would make no sense in the modern adaptation unless, in the case of this one, mm-hmm. the guy thought he was 1800 Sherlock Holmes. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. They, they exactly. have all that kind of shit going on in Breaking Bad. Or it was Bad. still the 70s. I guess that's true, but yeah. they they do have the sciency stuff. Like he's looking in microscopes, he's using blue t- blow torches on eyeballs. Yeah. He's like dropping. He like has uh, eye droppers. He drops stuff on blood samples, and it fizzes yeah. and stuff. That's in the show, isn't it? But let's Sherlock. not talk. Ab- we're not talking about the show. We're not not talking about Sherlock right now. We're talking about this adaptation, which has great you know, Meyer flasks in it. Woohoo! Yeah, that's just something I was oh, saying that I enjoy. Graduated so I enjoyed the presence of these I things. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so the. <laughs> uh, so Tess and I also wanted to talk about how easy the romance was in this. Yeah. Because they're a man and a woman, but it's the same romance that's in every iteration mm-hmm. of Sherlock Holmes and Watson, Doctor Watson. Yeah. I think it's just—it's it's so much easier and more apparent when when that it one of them's a woman, yeah. usually Watson for some reason. Um, but like one of the things like that that in that is that you have this moment where he's they're like in the middle of a case or whatever, and then he just goes, "I love you." And she's kind of like, uh-huh. And then they just go about their business. And that seemed really, that seemed 100% legit. Yeah. Like, that would be, that seemed like something that could even happen in the books, honestly. It's just like they're hiding behind a curtain together and, holding you know, hands. Sp- holding hands and spying <laughs> on somebody that's evil. And then, I love you. Ah. <laughs> well, Holmes. Oh, right, then. right then. Right <laughs> then. So I'm gonna go home to my wife. Do who I, doesn't have, give a fuck. I have to be a little. I have to be a little bit of a wet blanket again. It's not that I found the actors any less than not only convincing but really good, uh, but I feel like and this could have easily been done even on a shoestring budget, which it seems like maybe that's kind of the allowance we're giving this is that it was an off Broadway play not made for like a fuck ton of money, but it should have been over more days because. They're together for like a day and a half, and so in that way, the love thing, the romance budding that quickly, <coughs> uh, didn't. But didn't but take Watson. Me. Uh, pardon me. Watson no, no. buds Wait. that quickly. Can can I say, 
Uh, Watson moves into his apartment in a day. Yeah, but that's because in the show he desperately needs like, a roommate. Hey, yeah, uh huh, sure. Yeah, and in the canon too. Wait, in, in the, the canon, he doesn't des- desperately need a roommate that bad, right? No, he does. No, that's why they move in together. Is that they need or? a flat share? Yeah, they need a flat share. Okay, but so so Brady's yeah. saying he she no doesn't desperately she doesn't desperately need a, a person to cook dinner for. So therefore, <laughs> that doesn't match. I'm not saying the seeds house. of romance wouldn't have been convincing after two days, but like the, the way it's played, like th- this you. is my main problem with the movie is that like it just feels too tossed off. Uh, have you have you ever have you ever been in love with a crazy person, Brady? Because <laughs> um. uh. they tell you that they love you on the second day. Brady, have you ever been in love? Yeah, that's one of the main cues of whether a person's crazy or not. I, I totally bought it. Just Brady, have you ever been in love, uh, period? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. That's, that'd be good. I'm sorry. Rob's, Rob's right, not So have you ever been in love with a crazy person? Yeah. Um, Did you just yes, say that yes, Rob's uh, not probably. crazy? Not yes, probably. Okay. Not comparatively. Uh, I'll give him that. <laughs> no, okay. Like, I, I agree with what Maddie's saying. <laughs> the problem is that, like, done done in the right way, like, you can believe that people will fall in love in the course of, like, a day or less. Example, before sunrise. Totally believable. But for some reason, in spite of the good acting, this is a script issue. The way it read to me was just, we don't have the time. Just, like, accelerate this. We, these characters mm-hmm. are supposed to fall in love. Accelerate it to happen right now, even though they've only been together 24 hours. But they never kissed. Yeah, they never but kissed. they say that they're in love with each other. They say because uh, they're home and Watson. Yeah, there's there's no possible way that their love is because it's Holmes and Watson. Like it, they, there's no way they should have kissed at all. And I know you guys dream of it, but like yeah, it's a it's it's, no, it's a it's don't. a it's a boy and a girl, and it's Watson and Sherlock, but. Like, as Sherlock Holmes is, it's hinted at, like, all the time, from what I understand from you guys. But it never happened. And I don't think it ever will. Yeah, well, you know, we fill in the gaps. And maybe there's a relationship there, but it never gets to be to where they're kissing. Everything else I imagine, but... And I, I hate to, I hate to burst your bubble, but like they most it certainly would, didn't fuck. Like there's, there's no way that, or, or even just like, maybe no. I'll bet that Sherlock pecks Holmes or <laughs> Watson on the cheek. But uh, I told you I was sorry I burst your bubble, right? I hope I did. And that's why the romance didn't blossom in that and didn't seem cohesive. Right. Because, like, it's not. They, that they whimpering be, they goes out to at Baker They become Street completely dependent on each other. And I see Sherlock everywhere. And <laughs> kind of have Sherlock. that a deep relationship. But because Grand, you won't hear Grandy if you guys are talking over him. Yeah, Grandy. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I just finished, like, actually. Not, not you. I don't care if you guys do, but the people listening won't No, you were a great background. To my I'm not sure we'll be able to hear you. Yeah, I'm sorry that we were crying over your good point. Oh, no, the whimpering was fine. It was me shouting the Twitter names that we're going to tweet that out oh to boy. over the top. <laughs> Whoa, I zoned that out completely, Rob. <sighs> no, I think it was good. I think it'll be fine. But yeah, uh, and that's why that the whole relationship thing didn't seem cohesive because 
Well, because I think couldn't be. Here's the thing. So we're isolated, by the way. I don't so it's think cool. takes any additional budget. All I'm asking is the way you shot it, the way you explained scene to scene. Just make it take place over a couple more days so that we at least have the illusion of some kind of time for character development taking place. This feels like a lark. They're on a lark. She dashes out with him. Within a day, they're fighting. Then they're back together. The next night, they're on a date, and the movie ends that night. Yeah, but that's exactly how Steady and Pink was. But it doesn't yeah. read organically at all, like even for an absurdist film. Really? I think it's fine the, the, for an absurdist film. It's, you know, it's... It is like it's very much like a play, and a play usually takes place sort of like in a very condensed amount of time. I think yeah. I think that that's fair. I long think, days journey into night. Yeah, you know, it's he's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Those both involve characters that have known each other for years and years, though. I, I mean, I think the dichotomy has come out truly and and very unequivocally in this case. Do we have other things to add, or, or are we wrapping, or, or what's going on? Well, that's how it happens. It seems like a sad note to end on. Well, I mean, I understand. I understand the um, the the pushback between you and Brady, and uh, Brady says ah, it was too fast, and you guys saying it's not. But uh, I mean, should we go on to another topic, or is oh. it, did we kind of reach our our uh, our point of mutual disagreement? There's more ladies crying about Holmes and Watson love each other forever. Five ever. <laughs> okay, but I mean, that, that being said, do we have anything more to say about this particular film? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly we do. Yeah, I think that's a yes, sir. Yes, please. Well, no, I think we're actually going to wrap this up with uh, with uh, a beautiful song about Sherlock Holmes from Madeline. And then, uh, oh, uh, next week we're going to do a Grand Budapest Hotel? Yes. Okay, great. We will do that. But I want to watch another year. We're going to do another yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, we'll do another week. year another after year? that. Okay. Okay, uh, I mean, well... Looks like we just told you two weeks worth of stuff, but uh, uh, that's just not. That's okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Madeline Covey, Sherlock song. It's called Conductor of Lights. Okay. I used to have a friend who'd say, "I wish that I was Sherlock Holmes, so that I would know what the hell was going on." But I think that I would rather be someone's Boswell Who gets put through hell but comes back with good stories to tell A fine conductor of light, though I have no genius of my own Maybe I could help someone brilliant to not feel so alone for a century I wish that I could be somebody's Dr. Watson I like to be surprised and ejaculate words of praise I'd be satisfied with a long and penetrating gaze when he's on a case he wouldn't sleep for days or eat a thing though his eyes would be ablaze a silver blaze a fine conductor of light though I have no genius of my own maybe 
maybe I could help someone brilliant to not feel so alone for a century. I wish that I could be somebody's Dr. Watson. And though he'd go over the Reichenbach, I'd be the one to fall. And if ever he were in trouble, I'd be the name he'd call for a century. I wish that I could be somebody's Dr. Watson. solar system and the stars are of no consequence his attic hasn't got the room for trivial nonsense the only bodies orbiting i watch are ours his deducing powers hand steepled just thinking for hours and hours a fine conductor of light, though I have no genius of my own. Maybe I could help someone brilliant to not feel so alone for a century. I wish that I could be somebody's Dr. Watson. On his violin, he'd be bowing and scraping through the night. What's the use to think of convention when we know what feels right for a century? I wish that I could be somebody's Dr. Watson. It's elementary. I wish that I could be somebody's Dr. Watson. Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob I will spend it on burritos and hookers who I hired to help me eat the burritos because I bought way too many. My mother was the sea.